Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Secret Library podcast is brought to you in part by our brilliant Patreon, including our incredible benefactor-level supporter, Patty. Thank you so much, Patty, for being such an amazing support of the show. To help support the cost of show production and get weekly writing pep talks at the salon level, check out patreon.com slash secretlibrary. Thank you so much to everyone who's dropped by secretlibrarypodcast.com slash review and has left a rating and review. It really does help us reach new listeners and many more people who end up loving the show. So that means the world. This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to season three, The Nourished Writer. My guest today is Sarah Selecki, and I didn't even bother to finish typing up her bio to refer to in recording this introduction. I think Sarah has been on every single season of the show. And so it is cliched, but she really does need no introduction. For those of you meeting her now, I will say she is a novelist, a short story author of the novel Radiant Shimmering Light and the collection This Cake is for the Party, respectively. She's also the creator of the Sarah Selecki Writing School formerly known as Story as a State of Mind, the course that she taught for years and is still running as the Story Intensive. I've been honored to be a part of her community and also to call her a friend. And it's really not a complete season if we don't get into it. So even though we didn't originally plan to do an episode this season, as I was getting to the end of the season, it just felt wrong. So we close out our interviews today with a conversation Sarah and I had about the topic of the season. We're talking about the nourished writer and what does that mean? And in reflection of what has happened this year, we're looking at what does it mean to be a nourished writer in 2020? How much do we withdraw? How much do we participate? How can we be responsible as writers and yet maintain our sense of energy, of enthusiasm, of presence when so much is going on. This was a deep and riveting conversation. I'm so delighted that we went for it. I'm so delighted that we took the risk. We probably had fewer notes than we've ever had having a conversation, but I think it was in many ways the better for it. It feels like exactly the right interview to wrap up the interviews of season three And I will be back next week with our traditional solo episode. But for now, I want to share this conversation with Sarah Selecki. I have so many things I want to talk about. It's hard to know where to start. But mind, mind map it. Do a verbal mind map. We'll do a verbal mind map. Okay, topics like managing anxiety while writing. That's definitely one of them. Managing what steals our attention away from writing, possibly the biggest thing I'm thinking about right now Mm. and how to protect against that. I'm calling it Mm -hmm. Project Fortress. Ooh. All right, let's get into that. Okay. Okay, let's get it. Because, okay, so I have, ooh, I'm going to, I really hope, I just have to give a caveat. I hope that I am articulate. This is, we're, it's, the first snowfall of the year, we're going into the dark season up here 
in the Northern hemisphere. And I have been in isolation for months now, as we all have. <laughs> and, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I make sense when I talk anymore. <laughs> so, oh, oh, I totally get that. I get that. Okay. So caveat, as I figure things out, like you're just the, the fortress and the discussion about like protecting your writing and how to, uh, protect against distractions. Like I am kind of entering a new realm and a new way of thinking about it that I want to run past you. Yes. This is fresh. This is good. We have not talked about this no. together um, before because this is relatively newly articulated to me. Like I haven't actually been able to say it out loud. Well, I've been starting to say it out loud and I don't know fully if it makes sense. So do you want to try? Do you want to yeah, see? Yeah, let's try because I'm in the same place for me. Okay. Let's have it. Okay. So this feeling of uh, needing needing to protect my writing time against other things is starting to feel really difficult right now. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're with me. <laughs> like like the real like the things that I have to protect against, like a, the the reinforcements I need to protect the magic. Uh, I just feel like I'm adding extra 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 in reinforcements because it's not just it's not just random stuff. Like it's not just, Oh, I have to do the laundry or people are coming over and my house is going to be messy or I need to like get the, I mean, we, we, we both run online writing schools and companies. So like it's not the usual kind of scheduling emails and making sure that your, that your social campaigns are taken care of. Like it's not usual stuff. It's actually like big, urgent and important sociopolitical cultural, uh, things that are, that are the distraction, you know? Yes. Um, and that makes it feel different and putting a fortress up against those things feels like the, the oppositional energy that I have felt in trying to establish that fortress has felt wrong. Mm. You? anything? Yeah. 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 Like something's not right. Like I don't like, it's not like I haven't, I haven't figured out, I haven't figured out what the solution to that. Like I haven't figured out the, what the wrongness is. It's not like there's, it's not like the, the things that we're thinking about and the things that need our, our attention or asking for our attention are like wrong to be thinking about. It's, it's not, that's not what I mean. Um, but what I mean is the relationship I have to my life feels as polarized as what we're seeing happen out. Like I've started to see that that oppositional energy is part of the problem. So what then? Right. <laughs> so here's my, first of all, what do you think about that? I, I totally get it because I do think that it's one thing if we're in a sort of business as usual everything's mm. kind of, you know, ho-hum, whatever, humming along, then it doesn't feel like you're going to miss anything if you step away to write or mm -hmm. to protect yourself. But mm -hmm. in the current reality, it's life or death for a lot of people mm -hmm. what's happening right now. So it it is, it's difficult when it feels irresponsible and mm -hmm. it isn't a good feeling to feel like, okay, I want to step away and write, which is imperative for me, yet am I irresponsible as a world's community mm -hmm. member by doing that? Right. Right. There was a there was a piece that was that Sharon Blackie re-released um from one of her blogs on on um myth. She's, she's like, she's all about myth and the heroine's journey and story and like really about the mythic. And it's a piece that she wrote years ago, but she re-released it. And I, and I, I sort of thirstily read it in which she talked about the role of a writer and a storyteller is one of like mythic redesigning, a reweaving of story and culture. And she was like, yes, it's so good that we need people to be protesting in the streets and marching in the streets. And we all, and storytellers are there like after the buildings have been burned, after the, like after the, the march 
has been marched. We're here to, to rewrite, to write a version of culture. We're here to like, we know what to do after that. We're here to show you through story what ha- what we do, what we do next, what we are doing, what the place, what the me- we make the meaning of this and we create new cultures. And I say thirstily because it, it was like, she was offering this, like you, on the one hand, the work that you're doing in writing is important. <laughs> and that just felt really good. Um, because often I think we sit at our desks and we're like, is this even like, is this even important? Like, what are we even mm. doing? So there was that. And then on the other hand, it also felt good in that, like, um, and this is the part that makes me a little squeamish. I felt like she was giving me a way out of marching in the street because I'm the kind of person who writes and there are the kind of people who protest in the street. And that made me feel kind of squeamish. Mm. And um, so I, po- I, I shared it with a few uh, politically minded friends of mine who it must be known are not also fiction writers. They're not, they're not novelist friends of mine. These are like, they're journalists, um, and activists and shared it with them and said, what do you think of this? And one person said, Oh, this, I feel like it's a cop out, which was like speaking to that squeamish part of myself. And the other person said, yes, I like what she's saying, but that we need both. Everyone needs to both propose and oppose. And the role of a writer is one of proposal, but there also needs to be an opposition in order to create change that like change needs proposal and opposition. Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying I've resolved this. I'm just saying like, Hmm, I'm just paying attention to it. Um, because there is, you need you need, and it's like when we sit and write something, like, you know, that feeling, especially when you're in the like world building or story building or like re-outlining a revision or coming up with like, when you're generating something that has a bulk to it, you're tired, right? Like you need a, you need a nap after doing that. And you're like, why am I just sitting here? But like the brain is, the brain is working really hard when it's creating, it's a creative force. And it doesn't look like you're doing anything. It looks like you're just sitting. Sometimes if it's just thinking, it look, you could just be sitting on the couch, wearing yourself out, trying to like figure out an outline problem. Yep. <laughs> but you do get, exa- there's a real exhaustion because it takes energy to use your mind that way, to create something from nothing. It takes a lot of energy. And it's an, oh, I do think I agree with Sharon Blackie in that I think it's an overlooked energy. I do. I think it's overlooked. I think in a world, in a culture where the yang is recognized more than the, and valued more than the yin in any, or like, you know, the masculine more than the sun, more than the moon energy. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I think it makes sense for us to value the energetic quality of creation. I do. And I think that overlooking it is not, going to bring us to a place of nourishment or flourishing as a society or an individual or a collective. Like, I just think we need, I think we do need to value the energy that it takes to imagine um, and not write it off as a cop-out. I agree. I think there's also an aspect that gets kind of ignored in the the making it a dichotomy between you know staying in and writing books or being out marching in the street right the way that i've been wrestling with it is to bring it back to okay well what values am i trying to support here and what is the outcome i want to achieve in supporting them and then asking myself is this knee-jerk reaction that I'm having and acting on the most effective way to create that result. So an example, um, dealing with social change things going on, there was a huge kind of wave of, and there still is, posting and reposting images that are often quite powerful with statements that with values that I support 
And so I was spending all this time like following new accounts, learning about new people, watching stuff and feeling like, oh, I've got to share and populate as much. However, I had also purchased a whole bunch of books that I wanted to read. And because I was spending so much time obsessively researching these kind of snapshots and reposting them, I didn't have enough time to read the books, which have more impact ultimately. And so I realized like, okay, yes, I understand why I'm doing this, but it's not the most effective way to achieve that goal. So I'm going to reallocate my time a little bit. I can do that 10% of the time I was doing it before and actually make some real shifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The internal, the internal work that comes from learning, digesting, reflecting, circling back, learn, like it's, um, it doesn't, it takes time. Yeah. It takes, it takes time and it's not progressive, you know, like creative work, which I suppose it is actually, I like to think of it that way, like creative work. I don't think that, that, that kind of, uh, deep, inner growth, noticing and reflection progresses in the like step-by-step growing bigger everyday linear way. It's, it's one of a step forward and then three steps back and then reflecting and then doing, you know, it's, it's repetitive, um, elliptical, (laughs) it's a spiral. It's not a line. And so um, looking at time differently and where we spend our energy accordingly, I think it's, I think it's useful. And I don't think it's easy. I think it feels pretty revolutionary. Like it feels really controversial to, uh, take time out to do inner work. And right now, like we need that so much. We need that so much. Like, (laughs) I think it's important work and it's just so invisible. Um, yeah, it's, it look, it appears to be invisible and yet, um, we know that when someone is grounded and doing the work of grounding themselves, that every person they speak to after that, from like, I've, I've said this before, just for writers, if you're not, if you're a writer and you're not writing, that's a stress and it like, it, it might, it it leaks out, it ripples out. Like your unrest uh, affects the people around you. And I think in the same way, this kind of like the internal work that's required does create ripples of effect. Efficient, like, as you say, like how you said, like, is this an efficient use of my time? Like being, learning through the posting and reposting um, technology that just reflects us to ourselves again and again and again in this way is like not grounding. It, it, I do not find it grounding for my nervous system. So yeah, what effect is that having? So what is, what effect is that having on the people around me? Um, yeah. Worth noticing. Definitely. Back to the oppositional relationship between like the things that distract us and our writing. Yeah. Um, the thing that I'm playing around with that I'm working, that I'm, that I'm, the hypothesis that I'm working with (laughs) is it sounds like, it sounds almost like, uh, magical thinking or like sympathetic magic, but we've got space for magic. I'm into that. Like, so (laughs) as all things are holographic, right? Like the small reflects the whole. So the way you do one thing ostensibly is the way you do all things, right? Mm -hmm. So my hypothesis is if I don't think of the fortress as a fortress, instead, if I think of the way, if I can create a place for, of calm, I'll just use the word calm. It's like that. It's not just calm and like, like, Mm, like, (laughs) like 
not get calm and engaged. So like that feeling of, of grounded enchantment that, that you have when, when you're writing it, but when it feels like time is just spooling out, you have all the time in the world. You don't even time. What is time? You don't even care about time because you're through the portal and time doesn't work in there. Like that place where it just feels like you have space to think and you can get things done. You can write paragraphs and paragraphs, or you can write a really wonderful paragraph and like time means nothing like that, that freedom uh, that comes in a state of flow, a flow state. My hypothesis is if I can set my day up by going to my writing first, I mean, perhaps a bit of meditation first, perhaps like some dance or yoga, or um, if I'm really brave going out in the snow first, <laughs> like having a little bit of reflective time in nature, um, a wordless time first, perhaps, or going straight to the page. If I can create that flow state in my work and not think about setting up the fortress to distract and understand that that, that flow state is available to me throughout the day, what if I can do, like, what if doing it in my writing will then affect the way I feel about the rest of the day and the rest of my life? Mm. I think that fits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I mean, you kind of need a fortress. It, it's like the fortress. I just, it's been stressing me out to think about things. It's so separate. It's, yeah. been, it's been causing me lately this year. Um, and after the summer, it's been, it's been not feeling right to separate my writing life with the rest of my, with the rest of my life. I feel like it all requires my energy in a way that feels like it's too much. Like often I just feel like I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. I, I can't, I don't have it in me. I can't split my consciousness and write now and then, and then be a, be a member of society for the afternoon. Like I can't, I can't split. I don't, I need, I need a hundred percent of myself for both. I need 120% of myself for both right now. Like we're all, so then, so this hypothesis is like, what if I can bring a hundred percent of myself to both and not measure it out? Like, you know, you have a cup of flour and then you have a, that equals like four quarter cups of flour, like not measuring out time in these <laughs> teaspoons, <laughs> but not measuring it out as though it's a finite thing. Instead, feeling like the way I am in this moment in my writing will be, will be what I have to bring to the rest of life and that it doesn't have to be separate. That's the hypothesis. I don't even know. So what do you think? Did I articulate that right? You what did. am I saying? What you am did. I even talking about here? I feel like, okay, interesting. So I'm feeling like, in a way, if we transformed the name from Project Fortress to Project Furnace, we would have a link back to something you and I talked about before, about always keeping the coals going of your creative process. Right. And that if you have a fire that's about to go out, and if writing and your creative process is a way that you make the fire burn better and warm up the space, then by starting with writing and getting the fire really going, then you have that energy available to yeah. you for the rest of the day. And that if you don't write, you're letting the fire die down. Yeah. Does that fit? Yes. Yes, yes that fits. The other nice thing about a fire is you can throw anything in it that you don't want to deal with. Well, you know what's so interesting about this metaphor that you brought up and, and re-brought up about the fire. Just yesterday, I was having um, uh, like our, my weekly SOS call with, uh, with my friend, Annie Bray, who is also a somatic therapist. She does like trauma-aware somatic therapy, like um, body exercises, really all about the nervous system. And she works with writers, she's great. <laughs> and we have a weekly, just a weekly touch in. And I was describing to her this feeling I have of feeling like I'm on fire. Like I need an asbestos. I need some sort of like fireproof comet suit because right now <laughs> I just feel like I'm riding on a comet, whether it's not, you know, I've tried to dig in my heels and like stop it with some nice pragmatic energy, not happening. I've tried to like cool it down with some like watery, diffuse feelings of like, let's just dream, but not happening. Like I'm on the comet at this point, whether I want to or not, I think we all are. We're all like racing towards, we're all on this comet. 
and I just need a fireproof suit. I just need to like, if this is what I'm going to do, I need to protect myself. And her, her answer, which I feel is, is really similar to what you're just saying was like, what if you, um, what if you could harness that energy, all of that fire and, and right. And bring it to everything you're doing, which is basically what you just said. Which is like, keep it warm, keep it like, don't be afraid of the fire. <laughs> the fire is, the fire is what's burning this moment. The fire is like, what's keeping this moment alive. This is like, that's the life energy of the moment. And, um, it's creative. It's creative. I mean, isn't, isn't fire the create the element of creativity in tarot? It yeah. Is, right. Yeah. So, yes. so, so, you know, that thing, which you fear is also the thing, which you speak, you, which you seek. I mean, this feeling that we have of like, uh, or that I have, I'll just raise my hand. I don't want to speak for you or anyone else, but the feeling I have of like, I'm incapable. Like I don't have, I'm at capacity. I'm over capacity. I can't do this. Um, it's like the equivalent of feeling, uh, of understanding your fear as excitement, right? Like that same thing, that same energy that you feel you can't, that you don't have capacity for is actually just like, you're on fire. You're on creative fire. So go with it. Yes. And to think also there's that process of calcination, which I'm fascinated with, but as an, as an alchemical process, it's a purification process and it's basically bringing to the surface mm. and burning off everything that's not of use. Mm. And I feel like as a society, that's really <sighs> what we need to be doing right now. We're looking at all of this awful shit that's been <sighs> ignored, not addressed. And in a way, I mean, COVID has been a huge process of calcination, forcing us to look at things, forcing us to look at societal inequality that people have ignored. And it is bringing everything up to the surface and we have to deal with it now. So I think that, and that is a fire process and it's a burning off process. Um, so I think that's something. And on the other side, I cannot go forward. I would feel extremely disloyal to myself without mentioning. Have you seen the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> because the song about fire in it is in my head as you're talking about your experience. Maybe we could just like create some space here so you could play it in the recording. And I know, I'll be like, just everyone, uh -uh. I'll link to it in the show notes. If you have okay. not watched the musical episode of Buffy. I have not. You, so you must. There's a whole song. The theme song of now. It it's the, the lyrics are like, I touch the fire and it freezes me. I look into it mm. and it's black, you mm. know, it's, it, it would, it would give you some, some thoughts. I'll send you a link. <laughs> send me the link, please. I mean, it's, Her, I love that we're talking about, I mean, it's when we're recording this, it's coming up close to Halloween. Yep. Um, I'm planning a big bonfire. Uh, I mean, big not, not a big gathering, of course, just but like fire is big. A big fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To burn. I mean, that's the, th that this thing at this time of year is like, you burn off all the stuff that you break out. You burn that, like the farmers are burning down all the, the vines and stuff that they're clearing. The fields are cleared. You're, you've sort of, you're taking stock of what the summer was, what the harvest was, what's like, what's the deal now we're going into winter. So like, this is the last chance to just burn that stuff off. Let it go. What are you going to release? Let it go. Burn it off. I think that brings up another important point, which is that in as we've talked about nourishment through this whole season, much of that has been about nurturing, caring, preserving, protecting. Hmm. We haven't really talked about how destruction can also hmm. be nourishing and letting things go. <gasps> oh, yeah. I just got a little shiver when you said it. I mean, so much of the, the work, um, the, like the anti-racist work that, that I've been doing, that we've been doing is, is culturally is, um, well, I say so much, so much of what makes it feel, uh, important and effortful and like happening, like, happening is 
what Risa Manikam calls the like metabolizing trauma. So like it's the, the letting go. It's a, it feels, it feels like that. It feels like, um, releasing the old, like the shame, releasing the avoidance, releasing, like penetrating the force field around for, for, for me and some of the stories that I've been releasing, like it's, it's hard work. It feels sick. Um, and it's continual and it is like a nourishing release. Like it is good. It is like good to, it is clean pain, right. Rather than the dirty pain. He talks about that too. Yep. Like a self care that is a little bit tougher. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I mean, there are plenty of parts of writing that aren't easy. It's this is oh, not yeah. new. It's not new that we have to do something that's difficult or no. strenuous or, you know, you keep coming back to something. I mean, I'm at like the very, very tail end of this book and all I want to do is start the next one. Right, right. That last little bit, I'm like, oh man, do I really have to change that one plot hole, that little tiny one right. in that one scene? I don't want to do that. I want to outline right. the new one. You know, we're, right. we're used to this and we are able to bring that energy, like you said, to other things in our lives that matter. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just about writing. It's also about understanding how to take a complex issue and break it down into pieces we can handle. And following through with the details to make sure that it's nice and clean, like following through with it. I, um, I remember hearing a writer at that same phase, like working, a novelist was working with her editor and got another version of the manuscript back with all those little bits and pieces, you know, like, and, and she had said, oh, like, do they really expect me? Am I supposed to look at every single sentence? <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know, I mean, that's the work that, yes, that's what we signed up for. Um, it's what we signed up for is to look at every single sentence. That's we're writing every single sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny because the other thing about it is that it perpetually amuses me and you may have this as well. When people talk to me about something I've written, they assume I have at my fingertips, a detailed memory of every single sentence of what I've written. <laughs> and, and I will most often, if somebody talks about like something from story arcana, they're like, Oh, in chapter three, when you said, blah, blah, blah. And I was really, and I'm mm -hmm. thinking, Oh, I wrote that. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, you just, you think, Oh uh, God, every single sentence I wrote all of this and now I have to deal with it. Right. I mean, yes, you do. I mean, there's the beat, there's a bean counter, uh, in, I don't know if bean counter is the right word. It's what I've been calling it lately. Like the little, like the sequin sewer, <laughs> you yep. know, the little, the one that's like, mm, this should be a semicolon. Mm, this should be like, that's the one that we have. We try so hard to keep at bay in our early drafts because it's not an efficient use of, of that, of the, the sequin sewers role. Like, don't like, not now, not now. And then at the, the, the final stages of the process where you are right now, it's like, come on. Okay, we need those sequins. Yeah, I know. Let's now. get them. Let's get them. <laughs> Let's get them. And they're like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, it's good enough. It's good enough. Do we need it? It's such, a, I, I mean, just looking at it that way, I mean, maybe we can look at ourselves with a bit of affection and just see like how uh, it's never, we're never going to, it's just like, there's something in that, there's something in that push and pull that is inherent to the tension of creativity, of creation. Like it's, it's just in there, just knowing that uh, and looking at it affectionately maybe can help. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say about that is like, yes, we've got the sequin sewer so handy, but the sequin sewer isn't the whole, the whole writer. Like you've collaborated with something to write that book. And, and I don't know what that is. I don't know what that, source. I don't know what it is that we're collaborating with. Like 
the unconscious, like the collective unconscious, your own subconscious? Like, is it some fairy? <laughs> is there a mute? <laughs> like, who knows? Uh, not really all that relevant to find out what that is, like someone else's job maybe to figure that out. But um, there is a piece of this and this is also nurturing. I think this is a, this is a nourishing piece to remember is just like to have the faith that it's not all you, it's not all you, you like, you're not in, in you, you're collaborating. You're, 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 you're helping to drive this, this, uh, vehicle <laughs> you're in the seat, but it's not all you. So like giving yourself a sense of like, you doing your best and showing up and giving the sequin sewer like the proper tools for her job that's good and that's enough and it's and you don't have to hold and understand and know the whole thing like every time you reread your work there will be places that you forgot you even wrote those things because you didn't 100% wholly totally write them you were collaborating them you were collaborating to write them so the ego, you put your ego to, you did the work of putting your ego to the side to, to bring this work into being and good job, like success of the day to put your ego aside. And in putting your ego aside, you don't, you're not going to remember all of it because it wasn't in, you, you made sure that it wasn't in control of some of the creation. And that means that it still gets to be mysterious to you. You want it to still be a little bit mysterious to you even while you put all the semicolons in place and make sure that all the little, like make sure those edits are in place. There's still going to be, you, there's still a place for mystery and it just makes, it makes your ego uncomfortable. <laughs> um, makes your ego very uncomfortable to not know. And it keeps, it's a, it's a source of aliveness for your story. I think. Yes. I have a theory about who it is. You do? I totally do. Who is it? I even have a diagram. Um, What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah. So if you think of a triangle. Okay. And if you, to visualize the triangle, think of your, like, if you're sitting Mm cross-legged, think of each of your knees as the two bottom points of the triangle and Mm -hmm. somewhere above the top of your head as the top point. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's a line, a a horizontal line that cuts the triangle into two pieces. So almost like an iceberg, like there's a bit above the water and there's a bit below the water. Mm -hmm. And the bit above the water is our conscious mind. And at the very tippy top point, there's a little circle and that's where the critic lives. It's Mm -hmm. It's the, as I, and I remember you, yours is pointy cold. So pointy cold, totally like the top of the iceberg. iceberg. (laughs) And so from the line, it's like the, the line is the conscious is above it, our conscious self and below it is our unconscious self. And our critic keeps trying to get us to go into the point, like get another degree, do another Mm -hmm. training, get a certificate, figure out how Mm -hmm. to do it with a system (laughs) and checklist. But in reality, the best thing we can do is to go under the surface of the triangle. And that's where all the good stuff is. Mm. Like where we leave white space, where we go for a walk, where we don't have a particular agenda, where we take a nap, where we write a question down on a piece of paper and walk away yeah. and let it float yeah. up later. It's when we turn around and we go down into the bottom of the triangle. That's when shit gets real, but yeah. it's really hard to repeat and it's really hard to quantify. So the critic at the top doesn't really like it. That's my theory. I think, I think that's brilliant. I totally see it. I totally see the diagram. Thank you. I think, I think that in, it's interesting you say it's really hard to quantify um, because my earlier hypothesis of this year was in writing a first draft. I've written a new first draft with, um, with a new quantifier. So before it's always been pages, time, or word count. And that's been fine. Um, but this year I thought, what if I, what if I quantified it with the feeling of touching the flow state or touching the fire or going through the portal? Mm. And that is what quantified it. I'm not, I don't have 
I don't have a sense of how long this book needs to be or how long this draft needs to be, or like the success of the day is not about hitting a thousand words. Like I really just wanted to see if I could write really, like really write with pleasure, like turn on the pleasure. I was, I was reading free play this spring. Mm. Um, I know that you know that book as well. Love free play. Um, I want to say it's, What's his last name? Rachmaninoff. It's not Rachmaninoff. It's Nakmanovich. <laughs> Nakmanovich. <laughs> Similar. Um, I love kind of, that book. Oh, so good. Yes. The first time I read it, I wish I, I, wish so I still had that copy because I think 95% of it is highlighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no. I copied like whole passages out in my journal that I was reading in the morning. I was like, right, right, right. It makes so much sense. He is speaking so much sense in that book. So I thought, Hmm, let's just, let's see if we could play this out. And lo and behold, my hypothesis really worked for me in this draft, mm. in this particular story. I know every every book is like a new thing. But what I did was give myself permission to, um, to mark the success of the day as did I go through the portal or not? And it was a really beautiful way to write the book. And I, I had these shots of like, Oh, well, this is how, this is how people do it. This is how writers do it. Like if I could write a first draft literally in 90 days, just showing up this way and doing it without even counting words, like literally not even counting words, not counting time. Sometimes I would be there for 30 minutes. Sometimes I would be there for two hours. Didn't matter. It was only what, what the portal required for me. I was in service to the portal. What I had to do was show up every day. I took Sundays off, but I showed up every day and was just like, am I going to touch the portal today? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, I had this thought of like, oh, like this is, this is actually this. You hear about these people who write like a book every year or a couple books a year. Like that's how they, that's how it's done. There isn't this. So that's why I'm in this new hypothesis, which is like, it's the oppositional energy is not how it's hindering me. It's like, it's a problem that I'm setting up. that isn't a problem. What if it's not a problem? <laughs> what if that, I mean, there's so much more to the bottom of the triangle, like so much more space, time, quantity, whatever. Like there's the point, the pointy part of the triangle is the smaller part. Yes. So why we focus all of our attention to on it? But the, it's the other stuff that's really running the show. Why don't we just like give way to it? Yeah, it's like a generator it down is. there. Yeah, it's everything. It's like past, present, future. It's like the collective unconscious and not unconscious. It's like where ideas are coming. It's the, it's the source of everything. Why, why not just give it its due? I don't know. I, we should. <laughs> give I'm way. In. I'm don't in. fight it. Live there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's the point of, yeah, when I say, when I say Project Fortress, I think what I'm trying to shut out of it is not really the outside world. It's things like too many email newsletters that I didn't sign up for or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or, or just, just junk yeah. that is a waste. And I'm trying to yeah. Put the things that are not validating to the creative outside of the line. I've been reading Spell of the Sensuous. Do you know this book by David Abram? Is no. It on your shelf? It Having should be. Recommend. I'm getting in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I met him, uh, I met him last summer, like t- I guess two years ago now, not this past August, but the, the previous August on, at Hollyhock when I was teaching. We were teaching workshops at the same time. And I was so compelled by him. He's a, he's a magician. Um, like a, he was a street magician in London for a long time. And I don't even know what, I honestly don't even know what he was doing with his students, but we were doing similar <laughs> things. Like he, I'd hear them like shouting things. I think he, I think he's, he's using vocalization and reciting poetry as, as part of his access to the sensual world. Um, but we were in the forest together in Cortez Island. And on our breaks, I would send, I would send our writers out into the forest to do writing exercises in the forest. It was very much, uh, uh, working with na- like responding to nature, deep noticing nature, and then understanding, um, 
aspects of your of your uh, craft through what nature is already doing really well. So so there was a lot of watching nature sitting out there and then and then gleaning what you could from it and then coming back and sharing. And his people were out there doing the same thing. So like <laughs> writers writers would be sitting at the base of a tree, and then one of David's students would be standing at the base of the tree for like you know, 45 minutes, just staring at the tree. <laughs> and then we'd come in, but I never really got, I never really understood what they were doing. Uh, so I got his book to see what, what actually, what's he doing? What is he doing? What they didn't have notebooks. What are they doing? Um, I'll bring this home. Uh, in the spell of the sensuous, I've just started, I've just started reading it, but, but he's, he's talking about, um, the role of Nate, the magic that's in, that's in nature, the magic, like real magic that is, here and present and um the things that when he when he he did some traveling through um southeast asia as a magician he had a grant to study the magicians who were working as healers and shamans and you know in various communities working the the people who lived on the edge of society who would then communicate with the natural world uh, and then come back and bring it to the community and to individuals to, to help and to heal. And he was studying this. And when he came back to North America, he was really puzzled what, like as his cultural sensitivity sort of dropped off and he came back into North America in the States where he was living, he stopped smelling so much. He stopped seeing so much, like his senses kind of dulled and were replaced by the technologies that were not um, uh, awestruck <laughs> by, mm. this is my word, not his, awestruck by what's happening in nature that we don't understand. So the, the otherness of what a bird is doing, like he, he started to see it as like, oh, the, the seagull's just opening the clam. It, it started to look normal to him that the seagull was opening a clamshell. When he came, when he first came back after studying all of this, magic with, with, um, in these different communities, everything looked like it was part of the way the world, like he felt like he was part of a web of creation in this really important way. So I think what I'm, why I bring this up is because, um, what you were saying about what the fortress is keeping out, like the emails and the distractions, like, I think, I think there's a connection to certainly the way the technology is um, reflecting us back to ourselves all the time without any space for wonder. And, um, and I, I, and I wonder if back to what, back to like riding the energy of fire, like, I wonder if there is a way, because we're not going to, I don't think we can get a, I don't think we can get away from our inbox right now. Like we can have a digital sabbatical, but at this point in time, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not really the hermit on the mountain. Like I'm not, I'm pretty, I'm pretty isolated, but I'm also pretty connected. And that connection is a lifeline. It's a lifeline to our livelihoods. I just think, I just think it's, it's not, it's not going to happen. Turning off the digital is not going to happen. So I'm trying to find a way to um, maintain a connection to wonder while using the technology. And I think that I don't know. I don't know how, I don't exactly know how to do it. I mean, on the one hand, it's all magical. Like the fact that you're in Germany and I'm in Ontario and we're talking right now in real time, like that's, ma that's pretty magical. Like yeah. I could have space for all for that. I mean, even as a kid, this was like Star Trek. This is what we're yes. doing right now. This is like, <laughs> or like exorbitantly expensive. Right. Right. And it's just so daily that we get to do this. Like perhaps there is a way to, um, I don't know, find some perspective, find a place for wonder in the things that irritate us or the things that we, I don't know. I'm working with it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, of course we could go on and on and on, but I think that, I think this is where, where we come to at this point, you know, we're not going to solve everything this year, but I think no. we are, we are going to find a lot of questions that are worth considering and are worth exploring. So maybe that's what we have to do. 
Yeah. I mean, I like, we're coming to the end of our hour and I'm like, okay, what's the takeaway here? <laughs> what's the, what, how do we nourish it? What is the, what is the takeaway? I think, I think like you said, I think we're not going to find it right now. We're in the, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of like the middle of act two, you know, we're not, I think <laughs> in story. I don't think we're like past. I don't think we've passed the point where, where it's just like coming to transformation yet. Um, and there are lots of gifts that come in act two. Uh, and one thing that I've been, that I've been doing <laughs> for myself, um, is downloading like advanced dot to dot pictures <laughs> where there's just like, it's a scattering of dots, but like the really advanced connect the dots with like oh. hundreds and hundreds of numbers in just a way to remind myself that like it just looks like a bunch of dots right now like it looks like this is what it looks like right now and showing up at my desk to write this story uh to go through the portal to like you know to touch that to touch the coals keep the fire burning I'm gonna think about that thank you but it's like I'm just still maybe even setting up some of the dots for for the for the illustration that will come later and um, it's been very, it's been very soothing to look at connect the dots, um, actual literal connect the dots, because, um, I think that's what, I don't think, I don't think we can make, I don't think that it's the time for making meaning right now. I think it's the time for, uh, just attending, attending to the present moment as best we can right now. I agree. This has been so great. So thank you for flinging ourselves out there and seeing what we find once again. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing. Happy writing.